0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Ashley. Hey, Will. How are you?
1: I'm fine. And you?
0: I'm fine. It's nice to see you.
1: (laughs) It's nice to see you. How was your weekend away in the
0: mountains? It was just right. We drove to a little community about an hour south of here called San Jeronimo, Mm -hmm. parked the car, and then started walking. Uh, It took us an hour and a half to walk four kilometers, which is a little over two miles. Right. But it's because it's almost straight up the side of a mountain. That sounds
1: exactly like something I would want to do.
0: I thought several times as we were walking and Yolanda and I were sort of thinking about the people that we would like to do that with. Ashley would hate this. Um, (laughs) So you're not on the list. Uh, (laughs) But it's amazing. I mean, once you get up to this, to our friend's farm, it's just, it's silent and it's just on the top of this ridge and you can see forever. And we had an amazing, after it rained really hard, then we had an amazing sunset and Mm. uh, it got really cold that night, which was kind of what I was hoping for. And, and then, you know, after several wonderful meals and some time with these friends of ours, the next morning we walked back down. So it was great.
1: Oh, that's so nice that Yolanda kept sending me photos and made me really want to be there with y'all. But maybe I could just jump out of an airplane and land where you are.
0: Maybe you could. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was good. Thanks for asking.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Glad y'all are back and safe and sound.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: I have listened to last week's episode of The Broken Banquet three times now.
0: <laughs> I've had several people send me nice notes.
1: It was Dr. Dwayne Elmer, if you just happen to be listening, thank you once again so much for being on our podcast. It was such a treat. And every time mm-hmm. I listen to the episode, I learn something new. So thank you.
0: Yeah, it was really good. Um definitely hope he will be on the short list of people that we circle back around and talk to again.
1: I'd love to get he and Dr. Hunter Farrell and Dr. Julie Dodge all on the same podcast together.
0: Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> it would be very little for the two of us to say.
1: Which would be even better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what I mean, yeah, it sounds really appealing. So who are we talking to today, Ashley?
1: We are talking to a fella named Matt Kiefer, and I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times before he set out on his call and journey with his wife, April, and their kids to Quito, Ecuador. And we got to chat with him today about his call and the first year of his ministry. This is the first time we've had all these teaching episodes, and now this is the first time that uh, we've had somebody on that this is... This is brand new for them, so we're getting him right on the cusp of beginning his call and journey.
0: Yeah, I hope everybody will enjoy hearing from Matt.
1: Meet Matt Kiefer, friends. Well, hey Matt.
2: Hello. Thank that was you for it. I was me. just
1: I was just going to oh, say that's hey. A, that's
2: it. <laughs>
1: I'm the really bad interviewer, by the way, and okay. uh, and, and cool. Will's the really good interviewer. And then I sometimes, I, I hit a little gold at, at like maybe once I'm, per podcast and that's it. Okay.
2: Well, I'm completely yeah. out of my league. So it's it's all <laughs> on you guys to make this that, a worthwhile listen.
1: Yeah.
2: No one has ever been out of their
0: league <laughs> on this podcast, I can assure you.
1: <laughs> Except for Will and me when some of these Right. Started.
0: Right. Um,
1: Man. All right. Well, here, let me start with this. Well, hey Will, today we have a great guest on the podcast and his name is Matt Kiefer and right now he's sitting in Quito, Ecuador and I I've been really excited about introducing you to Matt. So Matt, meet Will. Will, meet Matt.
0: Nice to meet you, Will. Thank you. Hey, it's it's nice to meet you too, Matt. Thanks so much for being on the Broken Banquet.
1: Well, I met Matt uh, here, you know, this is how things always start, Will, is that I tell you how I met someone. So, you know, I work here in, in Shreveport, Louisiana at First United Methodist Church, and a guy named Pat Day was the senior pastor here, and he knew a guy named Matt Kiefer. And I don't know how long you guys went back.
2: Just a few years, Really?
1: Okay. Well, one day Matt was sitting in Pat's office, Matt and Pat, and they were chatting together. And so of course, anytime anyone who has any type of global interest, uh, was sitting in front of Pat, I always got a phone call. So I came running down the hallway and couldn't wait to meet Matt and to hear some of his call story as a missionary. He and his uh, wife, April and their kids were, um, exploring the call to mission, the mission world. And, uh, and to Quito, ecuador so matt before we go in i thought i'll let will introduce himself a little bit to you too since y'all have never met each other
0: and before i do that uh i just want to say how cool it is to be talking to someone who is in quito ecuador i, I when i started college at unc wilmington i was pretty sure i was going to just get a business degree and I was going to major in international business and minor in Spanish. And I spent, because of that, I spent a summer in Quito, living with a family and studying Spanish. And as soon as I got back to UNCW from that summer, I changed my major to Spanish, my minor to Latin American studies, never took another business class. And so that was, it was huge because obviously being able to speak Spanish is way more useful for what I'm doing now. So I'm, I had, there's a special place in my heart for, for, for Ecuador and for Quito and the family that, that I lived with that was so, so generous and wonderful to me. So it's exciting to talk to someone who is in ministry in Ecuador.
2: Very cool. I'll say that I took the exact opposite road as you, uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana did the business thing, hated Spanish. Uh, couldn't wait to get out of high school Spanish. Never wanted to learn Spanish, and here I am in Ecuador speaking Spanish. Awesome. <laughs> not, and, doing, and not doing anything business.
1: <laughs> and weren't you supposed to do language school in Costa Rica?
2: Yes, that was our plan. So we were supposed to go do our tour of Costa Rica and do language school, uh, but COVID hit two weeks before we were supposed to leave. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you couldn't get into... Costa Rica for what, nine, 10 months, uh, once mm-hmm. COVID hit, uh, as a foreigner. And so, uh, we sat around in Shreveport, you know, waiting to go for probably about five or six months before we were able, before the o- airport opened in Quito. And, and we bought one of the first flights once they opened up the flights, mm-hmm. the airport in Quito.
0: So, I've I've lived here in Costa Rica since 2003 and I've spent long stretches here where I haven't gone back to the States. Um, But during the pandemic for that period where the airport was shut down was so weird because it was the first time that I was here and couldn't leave. Like all the other times, all those years when I had stayed, it had been my choice to stay. And now suddenly... There, I had no choice in the matter. I was just here whether I wanted to be or not. And I, I mean, I wanted to be because it's where my family was and all that. But man, that was such a just a bizarre period of time, you know, for everybody for any number of reasons.
1: I was thankful to be your first visitor after uh, after COVID opened up the we, airport.
0: We were thankful for that, too, Ashley. Let's back up a little bit. So, you know, Ashley and I have known each other and worked together for a long time and and we we have a lot of conversations about missions and about mission relationships and and it's, you know, it's always been really fun and entertaining for the two of us to have those conversations with one another. And so we just decided a few months ago, why don't we start including other people in those conversations and getting some other perspectives and also do it in a way that people who care to listen, can listen in. So we started the Broken Banquet podcast I and mean, we're talking to missionaries all over the world who are serving in very different contexts. Uh, they're doing what they're doing in, in a lot of different ways. We're excited to talk to you because there's something that you all are doing that that's pretty unique that we haven't talked to anybody yet that um, that is mm-hmm. is going about it the way that you are reaching out into the community. Right. Um, we Definitely love hearing from missionary families and just what that experience is like yeah. for for the family. So we're just looking forward to to spending this time with you and and getting to know you better, and for our listeners to to get to know you and your family and just tell your story, man. And you know we'll have some questions for you along the way, but uh, we're just excited about hearing from you.
2: Excellent, let's do it.
1: Yes. Yeah, so why don't you just start off by telling us who you are, Matt, and how you got to where you are. Uh,
2: yeah, so I am Matt Kiefer, and I am from Shreveport, Louisiana. Pretty much born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, passed up a lot of job opportunities because I never really wanted to leave Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, my wife is from Shreveport, Louisiana. All uh, my kids are born in Shreveport, Louisiana um and you know we were you know whatever normal is uh we were we were that uh we you know built a, a pretty nice you know middle class lifestyle i was in insurance sales i was an insurance agent i worked for state farm for more than 10 years uh after that i left state farm i went out on my own i had an independent insurance office i did that for 4 years and in For some reason, God called us to Quito, Ecuador, Um, really was never on our radar. Uh, I mean, I had done some mission trips in my past. I had been to several Latin American countries, uh, but had never had a conversation with my wife about foreign missions. Uh, so honestly, when God put this on my heart, it scared me to death. I was like, that's yeah. the last person I want to talk to right now is my wife and say, hey, <laughs> I think I think God is calling us in into a foreign country. Uh, just started talking to people that I trust, that knew me, that knew my life, knew my background, uh, you know, and that I could just let out what is going on in my heart. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody, everybody I talked to said, you need to talk to April. You need to talk to April. And I, you know. It probably took me two weeks to get the courage to to talk to April. In the same way that God was working in my heart and, and had done things in my heart, really unbeknownst to myself, um, He was doing the same thing in my wife's heart, April. I, I really don't know how to explain it, but there were heart changes that were going on that that you know, allowed us both when this opportunity came, or when God, you know, put these thoughts and feelings um, into our heart. That we were all in, we were excited about it, mm-hmm. and so just about four years ago, we started the journey into foreign missions. Ignorant as ignorant can be, yeah. you know, we grew up in a church that did not do missions well, uh, and so I, I didn't even know what missions was. Um, and so, you know, if you think about, you know, like the hierarchy of of church missionaries at the top, right? You know, it's like you know you have the people in the service, you, you have the church leaders, you have some deacons and then above them's the pastors. And then it's like the uber spiritual people are the actual missionaries. <laughs> and so when, when, when I was thinking, Holy, like I, you want me to be a what a missionary? <laughs> no, I, you know, that's not, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm the church goer. Uh, I'm certainly not more spiritual than, you know, the, the pastor of my church is. Uh, so it's just, you know, it is that weird dynamic and I'm still not there where I need to be. You know, God still needs to do a lot of work in my heart. Uh, I, I still don't like being called a missionary. Uh, and so I don't know
1: any missionary who does. So yeah, there
0: you well, go.
2: My, my friends love it. they, they, Call me Missionary Matt, uh, and think (laughs) it's hilarious. But so, like I said, it's been about four years into this journey. Uh, God did some really cool things, not only in our heart, but just did a lot of amazing things that you know are difficult to explain in the natural world. That really got us through these doors. Um, I know it's not for everybody, but it's for us. So we moved to Quito two and a half years ago, and and are working with a a soccer ministry here in Quito, Ecuador.
1: And I want to know more about that. How how did you choose Quito? Is there a sending agency involved like with any training and how did soccer come into play? Those are three questions.
2: I'd never heard of Quito, Ecuador before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I thought about Ecuador, I thought, you know, jungle. Uh, that was probably the only thing that I knew about Ecuador. And so how I, I honestly, I, I couldn't even tell you uh, like what in my mind planted Quito, Ecuador in my heart. A lot of it was just kind of doing some research about about missions and, you know, really from there, I started learning about Ecuador. Uh, We started having conversations with people uh, and and everything started leading to Keto Ecuador. Keto Ecuador started coming up in in every conversation. Um, Either people that we knew, you know, were deeply involved in Keto Ecuador uh, or uh, we even met a girl that was from Keto Ecuador. During this time, uh, like I said, just a lot of strange things, and then you know God began to open more doors. You know that got us all the way through of making sure that Keto Ecuador was the place.
0: Were these conversations that you were having when when you were sort of narrowing it down to Keto? Were they conversations that you were? Are you? Did you grow up in a denominational structure where there's missions? Hmm organizations that do the sending and they were part of those conversations? Was it just a local church? Was it just within your family? Just to have a little bit of context. Yeah. um, Because it's, you know, I know some people sort of have this image of a missionary family sitting around a table and spinning a globe and just like stopping it with their finger and wherever their finger lands, that's where they go. And of course that's, we could do a whole episode about that, but uh, I'm just curious, like what was the context for these conversations that you're having that are leading to you feeling led to this Mm -hmm. specific place?
2: Yeah. So I grew up, I'm a, I'm from a Southern Baptist background. My wife as well is in a Southern Baptist background. So really all we knew about missions was IMB, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I, I did a little bit of, homework on what it looks like to be an IMB missionary, uh, especially in today's world and, and quickly found out like I didn't meet any of the guidelines. And so I knew that was out. Uh, and so, you know, I was, I was, you know, my kids were too old. Uh, I didn't have, you know, the education. And then even at that point, I, I knew that God was, that Quito Ecuador was where God wanted us to be, you know, and, and then I found out IMB is not really active here. And so really it, through those conversations uh, or through, you know, that kind of same time period, we began trying to connect with different uh, mission organizations in Quito, Ecuador. I, again, I my faith is lacking in almost every single regard. And so, uh, you know, I would like to say that I sat in the corner and prayed a lot, but I probably did the opposite. I, I probably got out ahead of God and and started sending connecting. I mean, that's what I did in the business world before is, you know, when I have a question, who knows the answer to it? Um, And so we had determined that me and my family were going to go to Quito, Ecuador for the summer. Um, And and we just said, you know, we'll go and we're going to serve. And, you know, when when we see it, hopefully God will say, hey, this is it. And hopefully we'll know that was, you know, me putting God in a box and saying, this is how we were going to find out what we were supposed to do. Uh, and so, anyways, I, I started sending a bunch of emails out with different mission organizations in Quito, Ecuador, and really throughout the process, you know, doors open, doors closed, uh, everything kept leading back to Inca Link International, which is now my sending organization. They are in eight different countries, uh, twenty-five plus missionary mission sites, ministry sites. I, I love my mission organization. It's a non-denominational. Uh, so an independent yeah. missional organization uh, that is founded by second generation missionary kids. And I, I'll say I'm the most green out of anybody that's in our organization. They're all about empowering locals, which I, I love about InkaLink and the heart of Inca Link, mm-hmm. And so the, the director of the, the ministry that I work for, uh, he as well is a second generation missionary kid. His wife is a second generation missionary kid. Uh, you know that seems to be the common theme, uh, or seemed to used to be the requirement for for Inklink International was to be a missionary kid. And thankful it wasn't like that because I am the farthest thing from a missionary kid. But you know they they really believe in allowing people to live out. The gifts that God has given them in creative ways, in order to reach the 300 million Latin American youth.
0: Thank you for answering that question. And I think the next thing Ashley had asked about was just preparation. What was your your training <laughs> and preparation like?
2: Uh, where me and my wife were able to go to a uh, well, I'm trying to even think what it was. It was a conference, like uh, um, you know, really concentrating on. Uh, family dynamics. Um, uh, me and my wife did a lot of, you know, mar- marital counseling uh, during that time as well. Uh, just talking about things, uh, you know, cause I'll be honest, like when we came here for the one month that we came down here before we said, Hey, this is where we're coming. And this is where we're, where we're going to move. Uh, it was not like the greatest experience uh, for me and my wife. It's difficult, you know, to live outside of your comfort zone, you know, for one day in the States was rare to me. I mean, if something was outside of my comfort zone in five minutes, I was going to change it. Um, And so to come to Quito, Ecuador, the first time where there there is no comfort zone, it it was not, you know, great for our relationship, you know, but in a lot of ways, like it it helped us to know what we need to talk about, what we need to discuss, like what are the things that we're going to struggle with that we need to learn how to talk about before they become a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you got there to Ecuador, you entered into this soccer ministry. How did you get into the soccer ministry there in Quito?
2: Again, God, um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I grew up playing sports. Uh, sports were a big part of my life. I grew up in a broken home. My, my parents divorced when I was seven years old. Um, you know, I, I can contribute a lot about who I am. Because of sports, uh, like I said, I, I didn't grow up with a dad, uh, but I consistently had great coaches uh, and, and dads of uh, friends that were also my coaches that, that poured into me and taught me what it looked like, you know, to be a husband, to be a dad um, and gave, gave me opportunities, taught me how, how to, how to connect, how to talk, how to, you know, really in a lot of ways, like how to survive. They were, they were my mentors you know, and allowed me to be successful in, in the business world. You know, and so any success that I, I ever have or had in life, you know, I can contribute a lot, most of it to these dads and coaches through sports that, you know, were, were a godsend to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really, when we began talking to InkaLink, uh, they, they began Talking to me about the soccer ministry, um, and, and honestly, I had read about it on their website. And, and at the time, they've since redone the website, but the website was not well done before, and it had a bunch of old information about the soccer ministry. And I'd read about it, and I was like, "Man, I'm really not interested in teaching soccer to seven-year-olds." But it, as as they began to express, you know, what what the ministry is, what it does, uh, and then what their needs were, I, I immediately got excited. I remember being on the Zoom call. I was trying to hide it, you know. And in some ways, it scared me too. We got off the phone call. My wife was like, "What do you think about the soccer ministry?" And I was like, "Ah, it sounds like temptation." I said, "It sounds too good to be true." I said, "You're going to tell me we're we're going to get to be missionaries, but I'm going to get to be essentially like a general manager of a, of a soccer club of a sports franchise." I was like, no, nah, this." This doesn't happen. I said we're going to end up having to clean toilets, or God forbid, I'm going to have to preach or something. And it, you know, and I was, I, I guess, in like deep down, I was, you know, struggling with that uh, because again, I, ignorant to missions, um, I thought that God was going to make me do something that I didn't want to do. And only the way God does it, you know, He He orchestrated this beautiful thing. And and so, anyways, there's the soccer ministry down in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, that their their sole purpose is, is to reach guys uh, and and women and kids that will never walk through a church door uh, for a myriad of reasons. Uh, but th- their goal and vision is to be the biggest soccer club in all of Ecuador and then all of South America in order to give us the biggest platform to share Christ. And it's a, a big vision, a big goal. But, you know, for for me, it was right up my alley. Uh, I can't think of anything else you know I, I would rather have done, um, and so I get to have a lot of fun with what I do. We have, we now have 250 soccer players uh, on our soccer club between men, women, and, and kids starting at at five years old.
1: So, what does a day to day look like for you, Matt?
2: Every day is different. I, I mean, it's one of the things I I, I love about you know, ministry in general is Uh every day looks different. Uh, so one day, you know, you're, you're fundraising, uh, the next day, you know, you are discipling with, with, for me, discipling with a player, um, you know, walking through life, you know, the, the next day it's solving a problem that, you know, one of our players is getting kicked out of their house. One day I I get to mow the grass, uh, which is honestly like, that's one of my favorite days of the week is I get to put in my headphones, turn on a good podcast and and mow grass for about two to three hours. And so, yeah, every, every day is a little bit different. Uh, my actual title for the club is is business. I'm the director of business, I think is my official title. But really what I do is I, I work a lot with uh, key partners in the States that, that allow ministry to happen. God's opening some incredible doors for us as a soccer club in United States, uh, that we are walking through, and you know, I, I am with our men's team uh, almost on a daily basis, especially in season. Uh, we practice at night, uh, and so usually, I, you know, I have office quote unquote office hours, um, you know, from about nine o'clock in the morning to about three. Uh, kids get out of school at three I try to spend a little bit of time with them uh, then they go to soccer practice uh, I'm usually at their soccer practice there and that they're with our club as well uh, we try to eat dinner together as a family and then at seven o'clock uh, I I leave um, and and don't get back till about 9 915 every night and so right now that's what a typical day looks like for me can
0: you share a little bit about what the, the last couple of years have looked like through the eyes of your kids?
2: For, for, what, for what it seems to me, uh, but I, I mean, of course, I think, you know, during the training uh, that we had before this process started, you know, we, we started reading through the book, you know, Third Culture Kids. It was something completely foreign to us, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, again, ignorant, ignorant to the fact that, you know, because we're selfish people, right? Um, And so I'm thinking, you know, God's going to send us to Ecuador. Well, first of all, like I have a lot of problems with that, you know, and what are all the problems that I'm going to experience through that? You know, that's where my mind goes at least. And then it's like, okay, well I get out of my selfishness a little bit and it's like, crap, you know, I have my wife, you know, and how is, how is this going to work? How are we going to be married? You know, what is this going to look like? You know, and then, you know, so it's, it's like a, you know, that's like three steps down the road of thinking about other people, but, You know, the the term third culture kid, you know, I had as one I'd never heard of before. And so I I didn't know anything about it. So anything that we know about it now, we've essentially we've learned in the last few years. But I I think we've all determined at this point that we're going to screw up our kids. Uh, It's just a matter (laughs) of of what degree uh, their screwed upness is going to be. Um, and so, you know, we, we joke around that, you know, our, our kids are going to go same way we, we did, like we go to counseling and we have mm-hmm. X amount of issues. And so, you know, like if our kids are going to have 10 issues, like how can we get them to have seven issues? Um, and so that's kind of how we approach a lot of their problems. And, you know, I, I think the oldest one is going to have a lot different experience than the youngest one. I, uh, we sure. just got back from Shreveport, uh, which is, you know, our quote unquote home, uh, and, and my oldest daughters, that they have a very difficult time. Um, mm. You know, they've they've now been away from there for three years now. Uh, but when we go back, they, they don't remember what life was like three years ago. They, they know what life is like now. Well, now they go back. You know, nobody works because everybody takes off work because everybody wants to spend time with family. Uh, we usually go around holidays. And so everybody's getting presents. You know, mm. so they get to spend the night with family, cousins, everything else. So there's, there's no bedtimes, there's no school, there's no structure. And, and everybody loves you, you know, to them, like Louisiana is, I mean, in a lot of ways, like that's heaven on earth. Like I, I get to go somewhere where I have no responsibilities and, and I think they know that people have responsibilities, but they don't see it. Um, And so they think nobody works. So, you know, it's like we come to Ecuador and you know, daddy's got to go to work. Uh, Daddy's got soccer practice. Uh, I have to go to school. I have to go to bed at a certain time, Um, and so it's it's hard. It's hard to have that adjustment, you know. Where you know, in a lot of ways, they don't they don't see life the same. It's two different worlds, and so it's like there's this. I mean, hard thing about you know life here in Ecuador, you know, with all this structure, uh, and then there's this you know whole other side of you know Shreveport that's. Right. fairy tale land for him. You know, but my youngest is completely different. You know, after like four days, he's like, Hey, let's go home. You know, for him, home is key to Ecuador. You know, he wants mm-hmm. to go, he wants his bed. Um, and so, you know, their, their experiences are going to be completely different, but I, I mean, I think, you know, like, like anything we talk, we talk to our kids, we try to gauge how they're feeling. You know, a lot of ways you feel like you have, uh, adult conversations, uh, a lot more, you know, and it, and it, forces them to, to think, you know, and we do ask a lot of probing questions about, you know, what, what's really eating at you.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you had a moment in keto yet where you sat back, uh, maybe with April as you're, you know, just decompressing from the day and gone? Yes, this is why we're
2: in keto. Uh, absolutely. I'd say that it happens regularly, Oh, good. Um, but, you know, I mean, just, just for instance, I mean, just last week. So, um, I didn't get into all this. So our, our men's team is actually a, a professional soccer club. Uh, okay. so they are in the third tier of Ecuadorian soccer, you know, which is our, our vision and goal, like I said before, is to be the biggest club. So in order to do that, like we're, we're going to be professional. Uh, it sounds a lot more you know interesting and cooler than it really is these are not professional athletes that you have like like the highest paid paid player on our team you know makes like a hundred and fifty dollars a month for you know the length of the season which is like four months so you know nobody's getting rich doing this but uh, the majority of our our kids come from you know really really hard backgrounds uh, the 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 kids that come to us probably getting, I'm going to geek out in soccer for like 35 seconds. Um, but we are, we are third tier uh, of Ecuadorian soccer. So there are two tiers above us. Uh, and the majority of players that we have are, are with us usually for one reason or another, but a lot of them are because they couldn't make it or something happened for them to not be first or second tier. Uh, and so normally what happens is kids get identified when they're, 12 to 14 years old of having a lot of talent and they get signed by you know one of these top teams uh, and they move away from wherever they're at so you know this kid in, in particular I'm thinking of he he moved from the coast of Ecuador uh, his family was in farming uh, had has nothing uh, but he moved to Quito Ecuador when he was 12 years old uh, so at that point he dropped out of school uh, he bet it all on soccer and he was in a new place. He's twelve years old. He's now around kids that are 14, 15, uh, Had never been away from mama before. Made a lot of really bad choices. Um, and essentially, for the last, he is nineteen now. Um, so he came to us two years ago. So really, for six years, I, I mean, he's he's been in glorified glorified slavery. You know, working a job, working sixty hours a week, making about three hundred dollars a month, uh, which is illegal, uh, but. Like at first, he wouldn't even tell us that because he, he didn't trust us enough. He has, you know, what he has said a seventh grade education. He can't write his full name without looking at his ID. Uh, and so last year. Basically, take care of his need, his basic needs in life, and then we got him back into school. So he's an accelerated high school program. Uh, so in three years, he'll have a high school diploma. Uh, but he carries himself differently. He has a sense of pride. He carries his head is held higher. He looks people in the eye. He has more confidence. And so, yeah. After that day, you know, he didn't pull out his ID in order to sign his name. Like that's a that's a tremendous win. And so, yeah, it's like, you go back to the house and and that's in addition to, you know, like the physical mental and and, and spiritual growth that he has made over the last six months, which has been incredible. Uh, But yeah, I mean, to, to see that and to see like an actual, like that's generational life change, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, more than just, you know, for this day, like you, you made an impact, but you know, in, in John's life, he has opportunity in life that he'd have never had, you know, that actually allow him to grow spiritually.
0: How do you, how does your organization incorporate, you know, faith and discipleship into the, the athletic, this is fantastic. This is life-changing stuff that you're talking about already, which is important enough on its own. So guys, it's going to sound weird, but like, So where does someone like John see Jesus in you all getting him out of that situation into an apartment, helping him with his education, all that kind of stuff?
2: First and foremost, we don't hide who we are. They know that we're a Christian club. We pray with the guys uh, every single night. We have FCA chaplains that are readily around, uh, usually sharing Bible studies at some point, almost on a daily basis. You're going to hear a Bible story. Or an illustration in, in some form or fashion. I, every day we we are letting them know who Christ is, uh, and, and more importantly, letting them know is actually showing them. So I think a lot of people around here they've they haven't rejected God or rejected Jesus like they've re- rejected religion. Uh, mm-hmm. You know they've rejected people that judge them. Um, you know they're they've rejected you know a place that you have to you know dress a certain way, act a certain way be a certain thing and and not accepted for who they are. And so, you know, that's what we show them. You know, what our kind of unofficial motto of the club is, you know, give them a place to belong before they believe. And so that, you know, in a roundabout way, you know, that's what we do. That's how we connect uh, and really entering in with relationships. Uh, and so, you know, building trust relationships on a soccer field, it, it's not rock science what we do. We, we, we love them. Um, and and mm-hmm. for a lot of them, it's the first time that they've ever felt love and they know it's different. Uh, but yeah, of course, we're, we're always relating it back to why, you know, why, why mm-hmm. do we do this? And it always comes down because God loves us.
0: And I think that's great that if they at some, at some point in their lives have been mistreated by the church, that what you're giving them is an alternative way to understand what the church, mm-hmm. I mean, a, the real way of, to understand what church is and sort of redefining that for them and and saving that relationship what were you going to say ashley
1: i was just saying that that's so much of what we're called to do is to be the salt and the light that we live our lives in such a way and that that so much fruit just naturally flows out of us that people are going to be drawn to us and say what makes you different Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: why do you act the way that you do and and matt i can assure you that that you and april are that and that that people come to you naturally just by seeing the way that you love naturally and how you've cared so much for, for those, that group of, of guys and gals who are playing the name of your club is.
2: Let uh, me say an English accent or a Spanish accent. Spanish, of course. <laughs> do, your, do your best
0: Ecuadorian
2: accent. Uh, now I'm going to butcher it with pressure on me, uh, but it, it, it's it's called Casa Deportiva Cumbreata.
1: So you've brought that. You've brought to the house summit, cum you've brought it to them of, of that light and love. I love that.
0: So I'd like to switch gears a little bit. You've done a great job of describing your journey as a family and describing the kind of work that you all are doing now. Can you talk a little bit about the relationships between your family, your organization, and the people who support you? Because one of the things that we hope will come out during this podcast is sort of highlighting some of the healthy ways that those relationships take shape and then some of the unhealthy ways, some of the unhealthy expectations or, you know, there's different models and um, we want to focus on the good ones. So would you, would you explain a little bit how, how is your family supported? What is your contact with your supporters like that sort of thing?
2: This is a big question. It forces us to be raw in a lot of ways. And, and you know, there's obviously some really good things that come out of being support raised and fundraising. And um, I'm thankful for what I do. And I'm even thankful for the burden that I carry in fundraising. But at the same time, like there is a cost. And, and I would say I, I've, you know, I'm not lost relationships, but definitely there, there are relationships that are strained and you know, from my role as, as fundraiser, um, you know, whether that be for us personally or for the ministry. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there are, you know, people that, you know, you've known for a really long time and won't answer a text message back or or an email or won't pick up the phone. And it's, it's hard for sure. But uh, I mean, I'd say for, so just structural wise, uh, we are support raised, uh, again, through InkaLink International. So we exist. We're able to be down here as missionaries because people have chosen to support what we do uh, and buy into our vision and mission of, you know, bringing Christ to, to keto through soccer. And it's the same way with our ministry. So our ministry is, is a ministry site of InkaLink International as well. Uh, and so, you know, we, we fundraise for us personally. Uh, and then, you know, fundraise for the ministry as well. And so, uh, you know, it's trying to balance that. How, how it's done well, I, for example, I had a phone call last week uh, with, with somebody that I had never met before this conversation. I got in touch with her from uh, another supporter. Um, and I, I left that phone call, one, rejuvenated, uh, encouraged. Loved, uh, and, and it's like a genuineness, genuine authenticity flowed out of her uh, where, you know, you could tell, you know, because I think a lot of people say, call call me for anything or let me know when you need something. But, you know, it, it's rare for somebody, you know, to, to actually say everything that you need, I, I at least want to hear about it uh, so that, you know, I can either help you do it, connect you with somebody that can or pray for you. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. people assume that, you know, my expectation is just to have money and it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the, the fruitful conversations I have and what sometimes rejuvenates me and encourages me the most is not money at all. You know, it's true authenticity or just excitement about what I'm doing or what we're doing because that's what I I get excited about. I don't get excited about selling insurance anymore. You know, I get excited about, you know, walking alongside a guy like John and, you know, seeing his life be forever different.
0: Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if, after having a conversation with this certain person at the end of that conversation, you said you felt loved and encouraged. Regardless of what the things were that you talked about and the details right. and the sort of what you where you settled or whatever, the fact of the matter is because of the contact with that person and the relationship that's developing with that person, you feel love and encouraged. And people need to hear that because I think that needs to be the priority. The relationship needs to be the priority. The needs of the ministry will be met if the relationship is a priority and that's mm-hmm. you know this is sort of something that I'm I know I sound like a broken record sometimes but I've been saying a lot lately how different it is if instead of our actions defining our relationships our relationships define our actions and there's a huge difference there we may wind up doing the same things but they mean something different mm-hmm. so you can have somebody who commits to supporting your family or supporting the soccer club. And what that means to them is I write a check or mm-hmm. I donate uniforms or whatever it may be. And maybe once a year, once every six months, we get sort of a progress support and that's, that's it. So those actions have sort of defined what the relationship is. But for someone who says, so there's this family that we've connected with, and there's this ministry that's doing these things. And because of the relationship that we're developing with this family and with this ministry and the way they're present in the community here are the actions that sort of flow out of that. It might be the exact same thing. They might write a check, they might send uniforms, but it means something completely different because it started with the relationship first. And so, I think it's so important for people to hear that for churches to hear that when you are considering making a commitment to a missionary, to a family or to a ministry, understand that what they probably need from you. Most is a relationship is companionship is faithful friendship. And the fruits of that will be the things that may sustain the actual work of the ministry.
2: And and just to be completely transparent and, and raw for just a minute. It, it's you know it, it's, it's lonely. It's lonely on the mission field, or can be. I can assure you, you are
0: not the first one who has said that. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. we have heard that almost in every episode from the missionaries is yeah. how lonely this can be.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're disconnected from every relationship that you built in your life. Uh, at mm-hmm. least us from essentially being born and raised, spending 35 years in Shreveport, like every relationship, especially every meaningful relationship I have is based in Shreveport. And so you're, you're disconnected from all of those relationships. You know, you don't hear the same stories. You don't, you're not listening to the local news, you know, you're all of those things. And so it's hard. It can be hard, Uh, you know, and especially when, you know, there are relationships that you actually really just crave the relationship and and you're Mm -hmm. wanting To actually hear about their life, hear about what's going on with their kids or what's going on with sports or those are are hard to have because, you know, everybody assumes you're calling them to fundraise and that and there's just not time. I know I know everybody's busy. And so, you know, it it is it's hard to say, hey, I need an hour of your time just to just to talk. Uh, And so those things are are hard And, and that there's only so much time in my day. And so, you know, like I, I do, I do have a full-time job, you know, with the ministry um, and fundraising as a part of that job. And so like it is, it, and that side of it, it's hard to manage relationship versus, you know, things that actually have to get done. And so there is, it's like you, you have a conversation and you want to catch up, but, you know, at some point, like the conversation turns to quote unquote business. And, but yeah, I'd say, absolutely. You know, I, I would have never known that before. No, I, I, be the first person to to say, I'm glad that you've said that other people feel the same, but yeah, it's, it's lonely. And we have a great community. We have great relationships here. Uh, but even that it's, it's lonely.
0: And We've covered your story. We've covered your work. We've talked about support and relationships. Ash, so is there something else you want to dive into before we kind of wrap things up?
1: So I think the only other question that we'll wrap up with is, Oftentimes here at the Broken Banquet, we talk about sitting at the table and having a meal together and learning from each other. So if you were to think about your time at the table with Ecuadorians, what are those Ecuadorians bringing to the table that we can learn something?
2: I, I think you know people here, yeah, they do a really good job uh, about including people you know, nobody is ever going to get excluded. So, you know, if if the poorest person on the team brings a bag of chips, every single person is going to be offered that bag of chips, even though he just spent every dollar he had on that bag of chips. And I think that is, it's changed my life in a lot of ways. And then just the family aspect of it. You know, it's been a blast to be able to have my kids involved in what we do. And, and there, there's nobody more excited when Jack, my, my four-year-old son, comes on the soccer field than then our soccer players. Uh, they, they embrace and love Jack you know, sometimes better than I do and, and more excited to see them you know, sometimes than when, I'm, when I get home. Uh, and so I think what, what Ecuador would bring to the table is sharing a sense of selflessness and then just excitement, excitement to see and to build into people and make people feel special. Mm, I love that. That's
0: awesome. Generosity, hospitality, grace, mm-hmm. all that is, I want that to be at the table.
1: Well, Matt, we've really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thank you. We, it's been great. Anytime you want to call and talk about Shreveport, let's just do it.
2: Okay. Sounds, that's a deal.
0: Hey, it was great to meet you, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And you've made all of these fond memories of of Ecuador and Quito come flooding back to me. So I appreciate that too. Uh, But it's been great getting to know you and hear about what you and your family are doing. And um, we'll definitely be in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Yep. See ya. Bye, Ashley.
1: Bye, Will. Bye, Matt. So, will, I wonder what is something that you learned from this interview with
0: Matt? Well, it made me think a lot about how many different kind of paths there are that lead people into the mission field, and uh, one of the you know, I've always talked about how different people do ministry in different ways in different places, so you can't have just this cookie cutter like, you know, one, two, three step process that just one size fits all. And I know that my journey was different from Matt's journey, which was different from Nate and Whitney's journey, which was different from, you know, everybody we've talked to. It's been a different process for each one. And it makes me think a lot about how fortunate I was to have grown up in a church that was so supportive of missions that was part of a denomination that was also really supportive of missions. And so there was this whole system and there was a model that I could use as needed. Um, and I, you know, I used it a little less than some other people have used it, but it was just helpful to at least for me to kind of take steps, Knowing that there was all this sort of support, there were things that I could lean on along the way if I needed to, and I, that's not the case for everybody. I think you know one of the things that that comes through with Matt's interview is how much of this they kind of did on their own on faith and taking big steps. but it was you know he mentions that he grew up in the Baptist Church, but they chose not to pursue. Uh, IMB, International Mm -hmm. Missions Board, because of certain qualifications and things, which meant Matt wound up doing a lot of legwork on his own of finding contacts on his own and establishing relationships on his own. And a lot of that part of my journey was pretty effortless because I was part of this kind of system and and a program Mm -hmm. and all that. So it has made me think about how sometimes there are benefits to all of that, but it also can be stifling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's also, I can see how sometimes there are benefits to sort of having the freedom to just explore and get to know people and let those people and those relationships kind of inform, what you're doing and how you're doing it and the the path that you're taking into it. So I'm not sure if I'd say I learned that, but it just made me very aware of that. Just mm-hmm. how varied different people's callings to the mission field is, and then their journeys into the mission field is, and then the ministries that they're engaging. It's just, there's such a wide variety
1: And I kept being brought back to, and maybe it's because I'm in the middle of teaching all of these Old Testament stories and lineages right now. But, you know, I thought about the calling of Abraham, who was, you know, he had a great job in a big thriving metropolis in Ur, and he was called out of that and into the desert completely out of his comfort zone. And I kept hearing Matt talk about that, of how everything was good here in Shreveport. Everything was great. He had a job. He was in Shreveport. It's where he'd been all of his life. And uh, he was called out of that into a complete, total unknown. I couldn't help but think that that's exactly what Abraham must have felt like. And then Moses continuously saying, I'm not the guy for this, God. I'm not the guy for this. I don't have the faith journey. I don't have this. I don't have that. And to hear Matt say that uh, a couple of times of how he just, he he hasn't felt as equipped uh, for the calling as he would want to be, that he's still growing in his faith. And, um, and then I kept thinking about Paul and how after the, the road to Damascus experience, He went away for a while. There's a whole moment in time where we don't hear from him, and we can only assume that that was when he was going uh, to relearn the Old Testament scriptures, to relearn the Torah and see it through Jesus's eyes. And so all of that to say, I can't wait to pick back up with Matt six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, and see how God is continuously pouring into him and molding him and making him into who he wants him to be so that Matt and April and their kids can serve God to their fullest. So that mm. that's one thing that I came back uh, away from from this interview with.
0: I just had that same thought while you were talking is how interesting it would be to get back up with Matt and just see what they're doing, but also see how just how much they've grown in regards to just understanding their calling and, mm-hmm. and how much their relationships with their supporters has grown and changed and all that kinds of stuff too. But I, I, I really, really appreciate how honest he was about how difficult things have been at times and how challenging things have been. I really appreciate that.
1: Well, we here at the Broken Banquet, we have such a great opportunity to speak to so many people all across the board and all stages of life. And one great thing is we're cultivating relationships with all of these people. So Will, I do hope that we get to have them back so that we can keep in touch and so that our listeners can also be part of this journey. What a great way for everyone to sit at the table together.
0: Yeah, well, it was great talking to him. It was great to see you, Ashley, and look forward to the next one.
1: Next episode coming up next week. Bye, Will. Bye, Ashley. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the
0: feast.